The following is a Frank R. Wilson presentation. Welcome to where we celebrate music from the movies. From the golden age to present day, we've got it covered. We talk to those from the industry and learn about them and their favorite scores. Welcome to What's the Score? I'm your host, Frank R. Wilson. So let's take a look at the shelf of CDs and see what we're going to play today. Recognize that music? It's one of the favorites of our guest today. He has written liner notes for over 300 soundtrack releases. He also wrote one of the best books on rejected scores called Torn Music. It doesn't stop there as he has contributed on a wide variety of CD and Blu-ray projects for films such as Chinatown, Used Cars, The China Syndrome, uh, among others. And if that were enough, he also teaches film music at several universities in Europe. He's also a big fan of the James Bond films, which is what will be our focus today. Please join me in uh, welcoming Gergay Hubai to the program. Hi, Gergay. Hi, Frank. Nice to be here. And I and I think I, I said your name okay. <laughs> perfect, perfect. I'm, I'm, I'm 100% behind that. Uh, excellent. And uh, d- thanks to the, uh, the miracle of the Internet, we are communicating from uh, – Louisiana and the United States all the way to Hungary. So that's uh, that's going to be a first for us today. So, again, I really appreciate you joining us. Um, My pleasure. We usually start these programs with uh, asking people to uh, give us a little idea about who you are and tell us about yourself and not, not stuff related to film or music, but just a little bit of the personal side, you know, growing up and uh, what did you do for uh, you know for fun when you were growing up? Things about your family and so forth. So if you wouldn't mind, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, you did a pretty good introduction for me, so the 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 official stuff is done with that. And what I want, what I feel comfortable sharing about my background is how James Bond was an influence in my childhood. And by childhood, I mean my teens. Now you have to understand, Bond movies were not big in Hungary. Some would argue they still not as big as they are in the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, for instance, the first Bond movie to be shown in Hungary was The Spy Who Loved Me, mm. but not, not in 1977. Uh, 12 years later, in 1989, just before, the, just before License to Kill came out. And then License to Kill was shown in Hungary, and from that moment onwards, we had uh, Bond movies in Hungary. So how did you get into uh, because you do teach at a, at a couple of universities in Hungary uh, film music I, how did that come about uh, that come came through Bond actually so the first things I the first music uh, film scores I really listened to was the Bond scores those were the first film score CDs I got 
And uh, my interest grew from there because, you know, then you discover John Barry, you discover the other composer, you discover other composers who have nothing to do with uh, James Bond. And now I have a pretty wide range of knowledge on all things. Uh, let's say one of my special fields came by accident as I got more involved in, let's say, Italian film music, uh, Nino Rota, Morricone, that sort of stuff. But mm-hmm. uh, my one of my big... Uh, Chances, of course, was doing three different liner notes for three different editions of Casino Royale, the Burt Bacharach version, of course, not, oh, the, okay. not the modern one. Mm-hmm. So for me, this just, uh, you know, I just get started and I I started, one of the reasons I started dealing with film music was the fact that nobody else was doing it in Hungary. And mm-hmm. there's not nobody else really doing it on the level I do it. So yeah, you have the fans, uh, you have you know pretty enthusiastic fans. You have some great Hungarian language web pages, but nobody makes a living out of it like I do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I know we've got uh, several cues that we want to go through today, and because you uh, you teach film music, I think you have a different perspective on on all these cues we're going to play. We were gonna. Start off with uh, well, what else could we start off with? But the the James Bond theme, and yeah. I noticed in our, my notes here, uh, you say edited for you only live twice. So I'm assuming it's kind of like the version that was used. I mean, it's still the original recording, but they mm-hmm. did make some edits or something in you only live twice. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you'd be so kind, tell us a little bit about why you wanted to discuss uh, the James Bond theme first. Yeah, well, uh, just for the, all the cues I'm going to show here, I do want to highlight some music that's not available. They come from my personal collection, which, you know, to me, uh, Bond music is like gold for Rory Goldfinger. I just got to have everything of it. Yeah, oh, yeah. And now now I want to share some of it. And the James Bond theme is, of course, is something unavoidable because, you know, it's everywhere. And I, di- I brought you the, the version that was edited for the Little Nelly sequence in You Only Live Twice, which mm-hmm. uh, basically uh, the thing is that in the early films up until On Her Majesty's Secret Service, the original uh, 1962 recording of the James Bond theme did pop up occasionally. Peter Hunt loved it. And mm. uh, whenever he had the chance, he put it uh, into the films. Even or even though in Yoli Twice he wasn't the official editor, he did come in to tighten up the film. So it might have been him, it might have been Louis Gilbert, but you know, it's just uh, uh, something that works really well in that sequence, despite the fact it wasn't written for that sequence. So I hope uh, you will enjoy the James Bond theme because uh, you know it's still in basically almost all of the movies to some degree, and it it is still the the hallmark of the series. It is, and yet, um, uh, and I'm always amazed the fact that when I, I I don't know if we'll get into the discussion of who composed it or not, but before Barry got involved with with that recording, uh, apparently he'd he'd never read the books. He he was aware of a comic strip that was out, but he just had very little background on it. And yet to mm-hmm. to be able to arrange something like that that just so perfectly fits was uh, mm-hmm. was quite amazing in its own right. You know, that's what you get paid for. I mean, you know, whenever <laughs> I work, you know, talk with composers and, you know, they, for instance, when they score, uh, you know, superhero films and that, you know, it's like, are you a big fan of the character? 
No, I've never mm. read anything. It's just my job to, you know, uh, and, you know, in, in a way, it's not your job to reflect on the books, the comic series, or now video games. You are hired to score that movie, and you have to find the best sound for that movie, nothing else. Now, in Dr. No's case, of course, it's it's that everything was still new. Nothing was, you know, taboo. You could try anything, and I, I do think it helped. Now, who composed it? I think it's, it's, it's covered everywhere. It's the one and only Monty Norman, and pray Praise Monty. Praise Monty. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's uh, let's have a listen to this for ourselves. This is the uh, this is the original James Bond theme with a slight difference because it was edited for You Only Live Twice. And uh, let's just say I'm going to go on record as saying it's co-composed by Monty Norman and John Barry. Have a listen. Are you a musician yourself by any chance? Uh, no, actually, I am not uh, musically trained, which uh, I, I, I am by training a historian, which uh, so like an actual 
you know, history. I, I could teach history in a high school if I wanted to. But this is what gives me the kind of historian's per perspectives on the music as well. So uh, why, you know, you for a musician, you could go into musical analysis, uh, which is, you know, fun in its own right. I go in for the historical aspects of things mm. and, you know, interviews, resources, and what is always most important for me when I'm researching is having isolated scores for the movies, is that I am able to watch all the movies with, you know, just the music and the images to get a better understanding of what's going on. Yeah. And I guess, do you have a, do you have some, some thoughts about uh, how John Barry ended up becoming the main composer for the films, particularly obviously in the early days? Uh, well, in this case, of course, uh, Monty Norman was actually asked back for a second film for uh, Broccoli and Zoltzman, and uh, one of their few non-Bond non movies called Call Me Vanna. I don't know how to pronounce that African word. It was pretty the close. First. Yeah, it was uh, this Bob Hope kind of African comedy. I think Any Tag Bag was in it. You can see the poster, I think, in, in uh, From Russia with Love and Krillin. That's right. That's the film, and Monty Norman scored that. And some things happened there which, uh, you know, there was a kind of disagreement about uh, Monty's involvement. He he went on record uh, talking about it, but it was basically the end of his Bond career without a second Bond movie. And because, of course, John Barry did this magnificent arrangement of the music he wrote uh, in, uh, in Dr. No, he was asked to do From Russia With Love. Now, not immediately, because you can see that the producers you know, still didn't really want to give him the theme song, which was written by Lionel Bart. But he did get to use it and in incorporate it into the, into the score, which became, of course, one of the hallmarks of what great film music should be. You have a strong song and you have it peppered throughout the score, sometimes noticeably, sometimes in a kind of hidden fashion. Yeah. And of course, he, you know, it was interesting how Barry tried to put his own mark on, on it, too, by writing his... Uh his own James Bond theme and mm -hmm. just ended up calling calling it 007. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I believe we will listen to it uh, in a little while. Now, there are two things I want to share about it. Is first, the personal opinion is that I'm not a big fan of it. it. Uh, it appears in five movies. And if you look at the history of where it's used, it's always kind of like problematic sequences which are added to the last minute. So even though it seems like Barry is quite enthusiastic about using it in From Russia with Love on two occasions, it's, uh, it's uh, for the later sequences, let's say in Thunderbolt, you know, it seems like he's using it for the whole finale because it was edited after the last moment. And one thing you can do with the 007 theme is you can edit it as much as you want because because of its pattern so it was very good for using in sequences which are basically almost unfinished half finished and uh, th there is this kind of thing like okay i need some music here maybe about five minutes maybe about six minutes let's have the double seven theme and you know let's let's move along let's speed things up <laughs> and the other thing is that the music uh, we are going to hear is the music from the Gypsy Camp sequence, which right. most people assume is, you know, you have the soundtrack of From Russia With Love is 007. And actually, it's not. It's 007 takes the lector, edited, like like edited bar by bar to fit the picture. It's not hmm. what's on the soundtrack. It's the last track kind of edited and mixed up. And this is the exact edit that appears in the film, including the fade out at the end. Wow. Interesting. Hmm. 
Um, so, so what you're saying is that they didn't record a new, um, oh. uh, uh, they didn't record something new for this, for this sequence. They basically took something that was already recorded and, and just, and recut mm-hmm. it in a way that was useful well, for the scene. Yeah. Ca- kind of like that, because if you buy the soundtrack, there are two versions of the theme. There is the one called 007 simply, which mm-hmm. is kind of like an album arrangement and 007 takes the lecture, which was written for the lecture sequence. And of course, people automatically assume that 007 is the gypsy camp sequence. When, if you listen to it closely, uh, from the percussion, from the beat, from, from the edit, it's clear that it's not. I was surprised when I discovered this too, but you know, as I matched the music against the it was obvious that 007 theme from the soundtrack is not what's in the Gypsy Cam sequence. Hmm. It was edited. That's okay. why you should do isolated scores. It it gives you some insight like this. All right. Well, let's let's listen to this cue from the film From Russia with Love. It's the uh, 007 theme as heard uh, in the uh, Gypsy Camp scene, and of course it's written by John Barry. something that that has bothered me for a while now and it's a it's a trend that's been happening more and more in the in the bond films is that they don't one thing that barry i think and i don't know maybe you can correct me one thing i think that barry brought to the series that was not used very frequently was taking the the theme song and incorporating it into into the score and to be used all throughout the uh, the movie 
which you don't see very much anymore because a lot of times the film composer is not the one who wrote the uh, the title song. Uh, talk to me about that. Is that is that something you also think is missing, or and was Barry one of the first people to do something like that? Well, I think you answered the question in the way I only I also could answer the same thing. Uh, but Barry wasn't the only one. If you think about it, Henry Massini did the same thing at exactly the same time. In fact. Some people argue that Goldfinger has um, shares more than a passing resemblance to Moon River. From <laughs> yeah, I've heard that. Tiffany's. So uh, it, this was just in the air. I think Barry used it, uh, you know, in a very noticeable way. One of the reasons is, of course, for instance, Goldfinger, where it's not just that the song appears in the score, is the whole score is based on the song. There are very few moments where you don't hear the song in some way or shape or form. Uh, from the moment that, you know, Goldfinger throws down the Slesinger golf ball, you hear, you know, little plug, you hear the song everywhere. And and maybe it's, you know, you would say it's overdone a bit, but Goldfinger is an over-the-top film. It can certainly handle it. And, you know, this can come, you know, it can backfire, as in the case of Thunderbow, when Barry wrote the song Mr. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, and he put it over the score, just like in Goldfinger. Right. Problem is, they changed the song at the last minute, and then Thunderbow, the song, is barely in the film. You can you can basically hear they just crowbar it everywhere where they have a little silence, like, okay, we have to have something from Thunderbolt here, and mm-hmm. it appears only maybe like five or six cues in total, like, and very brief ones, like when Bond goes to the uh, Café Martinique and this, you can hear it for 20 seconds as he's right. running by, or when Fiona is driving too fast and you have this kind of panicked version of Thunderbolt, that's it. Everything else is Mr. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. So, yeah, it does put the composer in a corner. But you you only live twice or, you know, even up until almost his last few movies, he could, you know, get away with it. He could put his songs and scores at the same time. But, you know, the problem is that his later songs just didn't chart. Uh, even though Bond fans, you know, still like it and admire it, let's face it, The Man with the Golden Gun, Moonraker, or... Um, all time high did not chart in any market, which for the producers was a big problem because all the other songs written by the different composers were not only charting successes, they were also Oscar nominated, something Barry never achieved with his Bond songs or scores, which gave them the idea, okay, maybe we are not seeing something, maybe we are doing something wrong, maybe John is doing something wrong, we have to find a figure figure out a way to correct that. And now we are at the point where there's an almost complete disconnect between songs and scores. And, you know, we can say as much as we don't like the creative decisions, both songs have now won two consecutive awards, uh, Academy Awards. Of course, the fact that the music, the song category is not as competitive anymore certainly helps. But, you know, in the end, this is the stuff that matters to filmmakers and producers. So mm. that's life. Yeah, it um, yeah the the story about Thunderball always fascinates me and how quick that all had to come together when they decided to change your mind on that. So it's a uh, yeah, it's a trend that it's it's kind of it's disappointing to see that they that the composer isn't allowed to to do that. And from what I hear, that was one of the reasons why Barry started. It wasn't that he wasn't still approached to to, to do other Bond films. It was that he insisted on writing the title song, and when they said no. He said, well, then I'm not working on it. That's that's what I've heard. 
it's not just that he, you know, he uh, he. By the time he was approached, they already had a title song. Usually, in in the case of Goldeneye, certainly the Bono song was fixated on quite early. The Bono and the Edge provided the demo, so Goldeneye the song was basically done by the time either Barry or Eric Serra was, were approached for it, really. Mm-hmm. And for yeah. Tomorrow Never Dies, even I think Barry could have made a concession of getting the song. There were other details there that I, you know, that I don't reflect well on anyone involved in on that film. So it just didn't happen. Yeah. Well, the next cue you uh, wanted to talk about was uh, from Goldfinger. Mm-hmm. It's fabulous. It's called The Dawn Raid. Uh, anything you want to talk about uh, concerning that particular cue? Yeah, because it uh, it illustrates what I uh, was talking about that the song is not just you know hidden in the score; it's it's the whole score. Here you have the opening measures of the song just just repeated like a military march, and the version you are going to hear is of course uh, you know the whole Don Read sequence is pretty long, and when they release a soundtrack album, the music is shorter because of course they can't have seven minutes of the military stuff. They you know LPs had a limited running length, so here you can hear the Dawn Raid cue exactly as it appears in the film, all seven minutes of it. Well, excellent. All right. Well, you're in for a treat then. Let's uh, let's sit back and relax and listen to this cue from the, uh, the film Goldfinger called Dawn Raid, and it's written by, again, the maestro, John Barry.
You were saying that you uh, you got into film music from the James Bond films largely. Mm-hmm. I'm just kind of curious: are there, uh, even though we're gonna we're gonna definitely focus on all the Bond films today, but there are there other composers that you uh, gravitate to that you really like? Um, well, as a as as I have a more historian mentality, I am always fascinated by composers whose careers are interesting. Uh, through obscure movies or failures or where I can feel that there is something to discover. So, for instance, while, you know, you have John Williams, the maestro, uh, his career, you know, he's just done success after success. It, to me, it's not as interesting as somebody like Jerry Goldsmith with his highs and lows or Ennio Morricone, who's part of his career are still very much shrouded in mystery because mm. of just how many films he made and how obscure some of those things are. So uh, <laughs> for me, uh, when I do liner notes, a Morricone score is always like a treat because 
Uh, I'm almost at the point where I think I have seen more Morricone movies than Morricone himself, because of course in the 70s, he often wrote without watching the movies based on <laughs> scripts or ideas or whatever. So uh, I'm sure that, you know, you don't write, uh, you know, over uh, over a dozen scores a year by watching all the films in great detail. Many of those were, you know, just based on instinct and, and prior working relationship. That's wow. just how it goes. Did you uh, did you ever have a chance to to see uh, John Barry in the, those uh, concerts he did in England? Uh, no, no, I, 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 I no, no, I I didn't. And for me, uh, basically, of course, for me, in Barry's case, my favorite part is basically I like his earlier stuff more. To me, the the big sweeping orchestral music. So I, I'm not a big fan of let's say dances with wolves. It's it's beautiful, it's epic, it's not for me. It's, mm. I, I like the dirty, gritty stuff. For, for me, this obscure stuff, you know, uh, for me, something crazy like Game of Death or Star Crash or Black Hole, any of these these rinketing pictures always have a bit more fascination than mm-hmm. the Oscar-winning epics like Out of Africa or, or you know, or, or you know, the, the big epic orchestras come from the later part of his career. For me, it's mostly up until the early 80s that I'm really interested in his career, which what really grabs me the rest, I can appreciate, but it, it's really not my field of interest. Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of people uh, like to say, and I, I'm probably one of them, that perhaps the uh, the very best score that he ever wrote for a James Bond film was uh, on Her Majesty's Secret Service. And I know we're going to play a cue from that. Uh, talk to me about that. What are your thoughts on that score? Do you do you happen to agree with that, that that might be his best score ever for a Bond film? Uh, well, uh, you know, talking about what is the best Bond score is always like um, a challenge. I uh, One of the things about On Her Majesty's Secret Service is more than 20 minutes of the music Barry wrote for the film is not in the film. A lot of the music was dropped. And uh, there are some well-known examples of this, like Dusk at Peace Gloria, from which mm. the first 10 seconds are used. But a oh, lot of cues have, you know, the beginning, the end, or the middle are dialed out. So seeing the film with a complete score can be the only revelation, like how much work was put into it. And uh, when I saw it like that, it gave me the idea about, you know, what the actual kind of work was here. There are many great little moments that are just simply missing. And sometimes uh, some of those moments are missing from the soundtrack as well, and I hope I can rectify that a bit here. For me, this is like, um, there's this story about how John Barry, uh, you know, gave the Moog synthesizer the role of the Bond theme because he felt that George Lazenby wasn't a true Bond. He wasn't Sean Connery. And that he said that, you know, Lazenby is a fake Bond, so I'm going to use a fake instrument or something to that effect, which is, you know, kind of funny if you think about how great the end product turned out to be, that it was basically there just like some kind of nasty joke or commentary. At least that's how Barry communicated it in, in several interviews. So for me, that is an interesting aspect of this code, that it, it's something that he, I, I don't think he would say that On Her Majesty's Secret Service is his best Bond score. It, it didn't give me that vibe. But, you know, for his fans, uh, I think it has a lot of unique things that that do give you the impression that it's it's pretty much top shelf stuff. Yeah, I mean, the way I had heard it was that uh, because the, it, Barry wasn't impressed with his acting ability and 
and because it was a new actor and those sorts of things that they literally wanted to go over the top with the score to, to, to sell it that this guy is James Bond. And that's that was the end result was this fabulous score that he did. Now, um, the uh, cue that you chose from Honor Majesty's Secret Service is uh, is called Escape from Piz Gloria. Tell us a little bit about about that particular cue and, and why you chose that. Now, I wanted to show something that's not on the official soundtrack, and Escape from Prisgolio had a different opening in the film that was on the soundtrack. In the soundtrack, if you listen to this cue, it starts with a kind of uh, 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 vomp played by the Moog synthesizer. So it's, it's the Moog synthesizer all the way through. However, in the film, it doesn't begin with the Moog. It has this kind of creepy tense, um, you know, string opening, uh, which uh, is kind of jarring. It, it, it sounds, you know, it will sound a bit badly edited because it does sound badly edited in the film as well. Uh, you know, it wasn't on the tapes. So the, on the tapes, they had the, the version that's on the, on, on the soundtrack. So it may have been like an insert, an overlay, or, you know, some kind of post-production fix. Uh, it's kind of a little bit of mystery, but in the end, it's a slightly different version. The rest is exactly the same. So, you know, after the first, first four or eight, four or five seconds, the music will be familiar if you like this movie. Hmm, interesting. Well, let's uh, let's hear this for ourselves. This is the uh, uh, the cue called Escape from Piz Gloria. This is the version as it appears in the film. That's correct, right? Yeah. All right. And uh, uh, it's part of On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Uh, the great James Bond film made in 1969, and it's written again by John Barry.
my listeners will know this will be very easy to become a John Barry love fest, but to be fair, there have been other people that have worked on the films, and in some cases, um, you know, adequately or favorably, uh, people vary on their opinions for that. I'm I'm not too big of a fan of some of the other composers that that did work on them, but and to be fair, we need to talk about them, and I know that you had. Uh, in particular, since maybe it was the first Bond film that you saw, you mentioned uh, The Spy Who Loved Me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we've put together, uh, you've put together kind of a, a suite of some of the music from that. Tell us a little bit about what we're going to hear. Okay, well, uh, The Spy Who Loved Me, as I said, was premiered in Hungary in 1989. I was five years old then, so mm-hmm. I, was, I, I wasn't really into movies back then. Uh, I, You know, I, the first cinema experience I have in my mind are stuff like Aladdin, like the original Disney one, uh, but uh, I, I have a special fondness for the Spy Who Loved Me because I mentioned, as I mentioned, I did uh, get uh, the movies uh, on DVD, and the Spy Who Loved Me when I moved to Budapest, when I moved there, uh, and you know I started out in a rent in a friend's place, and uh, basically the first night I I watched. The Spy Who Loved Me because it's a DVD I had just bought. I had never seen the film before, but, you know, it, it, it just gives me that warm, fuzzy memory of being on my own for the first time in my life. So I have that personal connection to it. And, of course, it's still, uh, you know, out of the three known Barry Scott films from this era, Live and Let Die, The Spy Who Loved Me, For Your Eyes Only, it was kind of weird that these were the films that got the best original song nominations and none of Barry's scores did. And for The Spy Who Loved Me, it's even weirder that even though the score is kind of weird, it's not one of the best scores. It's not, not one of my favorites. It's it's the one that got the best original score Academy Award nomination, mostly because it was by Marvin Hamlish, who, mm-hmm. you know, uh, f- uh, four years earlier, he sweeped the Oscars, winning all three of the musical categories for The Sting, and the way we were, which got two awards, best original song and best original score. And you know, one of the films that it beat was Live and Let Die, which was nominated on, on the same night, but the way we were was voted as the best song. So I think, of course, the producers wanted, well, if if he wrote the best original song then, maybe he can write the best original song now. And you will hear a bit of Nobody Does It Better in this special suite of music, which is not from the LP, but from the original theme score as well in the film, and to this day is completely unreleased. You know, The Spy Love Me is a good example to talk about, too, that, um, well, you're bringing to mind a couple of questions I'd like to ask, but concerning this, the it seems to me they did a separate recording for the album because there's just so many times when the album doesn't sound anything like what it did in the film. It, it, it is that, do you share that belief or do you have any knowledge uh, it, about it, that? It's, it's not a belief. It's a fact. The whole album was recorded. Uh, it was recorded actually, which is a bit unusual. It was recorded the same musicians, but they did, but they did a completely separate album recording, you know, to give a, you know, because a lot of the spy who love me cues are very short. Uh, I don't think any any cue, with the exception of the song, any cue, no cue runs over 90 seconds. Most of them are like 30 seconds. The tanker, hmm. which in the album is uh, is four minutes and uh, four and a half minutes, oh, in the yeah. film it's less than one and a half minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the 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 Bond 77, which is more than four minutes in the album, it appears the or the film versions are 
one minute chunks of it, like repeated over and over again. Uh, the, in the album, there is the cue called Anya. It's nowhere in the film. It's it's like a kind of concept piece. Like you know, we need to open. You know, you know we have to put something here. This and nice. I love that. That was the yeah. maybe the one thing on that album that I liked, other than the song. It's not in the film, so you yeah. know, the, the it's just you know they they ended. I think side they ended with the big instrumental. Nobody does it better. We need something similar to open side B, if I remember correctly. That's how the album was woken up. But it cannot mm-hmm. be the song again. So you know, let's have some original Marvin Hamlish magic there. And then they, in the album, you have this weird thing that they have the pyramid music, the big epic pyramid music, but in between the cues, they sandwich in some source music. And it's just so jarring. It's like, yeah, I, I get it. They wanted to break it up, but it just doesn't work at all. Yeah. So the album itself is kind of a confusion. Uh, I'm not saying that, uh, you know, if you heard the original score, your mind would change because the score itself is made up of very, very short cues, and it has some of the musical jokes, like the ones you're going to hear. You're going to hear the kind of circus car music when the car breaks down, or the Lawrence of Arabia quotation uh, when they are walking in the desert. So it's, a, you know, kind of a silly affair, but, you know, I, I think the listeners would, would appreciate to hear something that they haven't heard before. Yeah, no, I'm, and I, I in fact, enjoyed listening to it uh, the, the other day because it was nice to see that. And I, this is one of the few instances when I think I actually kind of like the music in the film better than I do on the album, and so that's why I was kind of curious to ask you about this. Well, let's uh, let's listen to this. This is from the Spy Who Loved Me. This is a custom-made uh, suite that he's put together, and uh, I, you can't say it's all by Marvin Hamlish because there are a couple of other uh, pieces of music in here written by others. But uh, sit back and enjoy. I think you'll you'll like this. This is from the Spy Who Loved Me, written mostly by Marvin Hamlish.
talking about the title songs, I still think it's a crime that songs like Goldfinger and, and Diamonds Are Forever weren't nominated. Or, or even You Only Live Twice, too. They, they didn't even get a nomination, much less the award itself. Do you? I mean, I don't know what the competition was those years, but you know, those are some pretty powerful songs that made huge impacts and they were and they charted you know and you know if you think about it john berry got an award between two of those films for born free in fact he got two yeah. awards best song and best score so uh may, i don't know if if maybe the academy was maybe in the 60s was maybe more snobbish uh you remember uh there was still this idea that you know how much should we appreciate British films in the American Film Academy? So, mm. if if you were a British film, you already were. If you were not a co-production, an American British co-production, if you were a standard British film like a Bond film was, I think you already had some sort of handicap in these awards. And you know when they did nominate them, of course, Marvin Hamlisch is an American composer, so and Bill Conti is an American composer, and you know Paul McCartney is Paul McCartney, so uh, so I. I think Barry had maybe the, you know, how do you say that? Maybe the deck stacked against him a bit. So, mm-hmm. but you know, he did, he did get three Academy Awards by the end of the 60s. So he had nothing to complain about. It's just surprisingly not the Bond films. So, but this is more about the Academy than than John Barry or the Bond series, I believe. So that that would, yeah. you know, if if you want to believe talk about the the political voting system of the Film Academy, I'm happy to discuss that in another occasion with you. I I, I got into very heavily into that stuff too as a film music historian. Because music is the they as far as I know, music really quite frankly, is about the last thing that's done. And a lot of times uh, composers are really under a lot of pressure to get something done in a short amount of time. And there was an example with um, with the first Pierce Brosnan film, Goldeneye, where the director felt like the original composer's uh, work for uh, a tank chase scene just wasn't working. And uh, and I actually talked to the person who was the composer. He's been he was on a previous program of ours, uh, who worked on this uh, tank chase music, uh, literally at the last minute. So I'm kind of curious what uh, what thoughts you have on this. We're talking about again from Goldeneye. The cue is called Tank Chase. On the album, doesn't sound anything like what it did in the finished film. Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, well, in, in the next cue, I actually mixed it together. So first you can hear what Eric Serra did, and then I cut to a bit of John Altman's music for what's uh-huh. actually in the film. Now, I did use the, you know, I didn't really want to tempt fate, so I used the Prague recording. Uh, but, of course, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's just for the sake of, uh, you know, I, I didn't want to betray anyone here. So the thing is that uh, in, in, in the case of Gordon, I have a little bit of, did a bit that most people are not familiar with that. Uh, once I did an interview with composer Graham Ravel, who is, uh, you know, who is also from New Zealand, like Martin Campbell. Mm-hmm. And he did work on Martin Campbell's previous film, which was in some markets, it was, I think, something like New Escape. I know it as Escape from Absalom. I think Ray Liotte is in it. And Graham Revel told me that once this whole Golden, I think, hit this fan, like like um, Michael Sandoval, who was, you know, working for MG, the music department of MGM, and uh, basically he was the first one to hear the tank chisk and realize that we have a problem here, that mm-hmm. Graham Revel was, like, kind of notified that there is this situation and he could have jumped in. Now, the producers didn't want to do a full 
full back turn on the score, but they did request a rescore of the tank chase. And that's what John Altman did, who was, you know, the orchestrator for the orchestra part of the score and also the conductor. And John told me that, yeah, you know, he got this kind of feedback that, you know, if we had known this, this could have been uh, an option, we would have, you know, hired in the first place. But, you know, they did mm-hmm. want to do this. You know, it, it's the kind of mentality that they chase what's hot right now. And back then, what was hot was Leon the Professional. So, you know, they wanted to get some of Leon's music and sometimes quite literally they got because it's using the same synth patches and, and, and melodies that, that's in Leon. So uh, I'm not even sure. Sh- I, 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 sometimes I even believe that maybe some of it is like damned with Leon, Leon and it's just stuck there because it sounds so, so similar to it. Well, so I, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. So it's, it's like I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of GoldenEye. I, I really don't like this movie and the music is a part of it. And, you know, I do appreciate that the tank chase was kind of salvaged a bit, but my problems with the movies run way deeper than just the music. But I hope that the audience will enjoy this bit of comparison. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that will be neat to be able to play them side by side and see, I see how it works. So let's, uh, Let's hear this from ourselves. Two different versions of the same scene in the same queue called Tank Chase from the movie GoldenEye. Uh, one written by Eric Serra uh, and the other one written by John Altman. Let's have a listen.
you brought to mind something else that, that happens to me, too, is that it, like when people ask me for my favorites, my favorite James Bond films, I have a hard time listening uh, any non-John Barry scored Bond film uh, in in the top five. Uh, it, it influences me so much. I mean, like The Spy Who Loved Me, everybody, most everybody seems to agree that's Roger Moore's best. But it's not for me, and it, and I think it's probably strictly due to the score. I'd be inclined to pick one of the more films that uh, that was scored by John Barry. Do you uh, you ever find that yourself? That maybe a, a, a score can influence your thinking, uh, how you feel about a film. Um, certainly, in a way that um, for me, uh, when I look at the film and the score, it's like um, how much of the composer's vision it gets represented. And, you know, um, uh, knowing the backstories of the films, it can, when I see the composer's vision compromised, it, it highlights bigger troubles with the film. As you mentioned, the music is the last thing you can change. But if you go, you know, if you reach that point with the music, it shows that somebody has slept on something before, somebody, something got passed. So it's usually the symptom of a much greater problem. Now, let's say in the case of, you know, if you touch upon the Pierce Brosnan movies, I do feel that uh, my favorite Brosnan, you know, I really don't like lists. However, I, I clearly feel that my favorite movie of Pierce Brosnan is Tomorrow Never Dies. Uh, not just because it was David Arnold's first score. I like the plot that it's a bit different. I really like the villain. I think it benefits by the fact that it's quite short. It's not as overblown as some of the other movies are. It has mm -hmm. the right pace for me. So the issues I usually have with it is that the the of course it's very much has a kind of the spy who loved me feeling to it with the big you know. Uh, you have to overtake uh, a ship in the end. And the way The Spy Who Loved Me is a bit better is that in the end of that movie, you have a kind of teamwork. And in Tomorrow Never Dies, basically, Bond has to go or Rambo and, you know, machine gun down 100 people to get, to, you know, to, to stop everything. So that's a bit silly, but otherwise, uh, it's, it's, it's a movie I appreciate the more and more I get into. And in that case, a big part of it is, is the score. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, John Barry and David Arnold did have a connection. Um, I, not that they were friends uh, early on, but I think they they did develop some sort of a friendship as time went along. Arnold was a huge fan and admirer of John Barry, and they ended up talking on several things. Of course, Arnold did a, a CD with it was almost like a tribute to John Barry and, uh, and a lot of his music in the Bond films called Shake and That Stirred. Uh, it was interesting to see how he uh, took over the mantle for a while and brought his own sense of style to it. But at the same time, you could tell he was paying homage to Barry as well. Uh, do, you, uh, do you feel like that Arnold did a with his stretch of films did a good job? Now, with Tomorrow Never Dies, there is, you know, what some people feel that, you know, maybe he overused the James Bond theme. But yeah, it's certainly the James Bond theme. If not the theme itself, if not, you know, the guitar riff is not that frequent, but, you know, basically every single cue has at least one element or the bebop, the vomp, or mm -hmm. any of the other elements of it. The thing is, it does give you the feeling that David Arnold feels like, you know, maybe this is my only shot. 
maybe this is my only bone. I, I have to literally throw everything at it. I, I agree with you 100%. And, yep. and, and that makes it, to me, a lot of fun. It, it, it has this kind of, you know, it's a bit overblown, but, you know, I always prefer, I, I don't really like the, you know, the, you know, self-reflecting, like, let's, let's pretend this is serious for, a, no, it's all good fun, and that's, that's what in the, in the, in the music, and the cue I selected is, is here, the, you know, the bike chase music, because if you listen very closely, you will hear, hear so many interpolations of musical ideas from, from past course that, you know, it's not just the Bond theme, it's, it's much, it runs much deeper than that. And I hope, uh, you know, you will notice this. And if not, you know, we'll be back and help you a bit with it. Okay. Well, let's yeah, let's have a listen to this. This is from the film Tomorrow Never Dies. The cue is called Bank, uh, Bike Chase. And it's written by composer David Arnold.
Well, Gergay, I I'm curious, what's um what's in your immediate future? Are you, I mean, you're going to continue to teach, or do you have any any books in the pipeline, or any other kind of projects that you'd like to share with us that you might be working on? Well, yeah, it's you know it it, it would be nice to promote something really big now, but you know I. I go in, do my courses, and then go home at the moment. I do have, you know, I do have lots of things at the pipelines all the time, but, you know, the things about the pipeline, the film music business, you can't talk about them until they are announced. Mm, sure. So, yeah. you know, you have to wait for those. I do, uh, at the moment, I have some positive developments. I wrote this book about uh, Hungarian composer Miklos Roja. You know, you might have heard this name of this pretty obscure composer of 100 movies, three Oscars, including Ben-Hur. So, but, you know, the book is in Hungarian. I, you know, uh, I, there is no book about him in Hungarian. So I decided I do this kind of bit of um, interestingly written analysis of his film work. And uh, now it seems that there might be some, you know, with some state funding, it might be published uh, in, in, let's say, by 2022, which would be good because it's like an anniversary for him, like 115th of his birthday or something like that. That's mm-hmm. the plan at the moment. But as you can see, that's more than two years from now. The book is finished, basically. It's just, you know, the pipeline is clogged with other books before it. So, you know, I have to wait and- for that. Yeah, and I I assume that people can uh, can go on to Amazon or or similar sites and and find your uh, your book uh, torn music. Absolutely, it's you know it's on Amazon. If you you know if prefer buy from American Amazon if you can because I get a higher cut of the price from there. But otherwise, <laughs> go nuts with it. Enjoy the book. It's uh, it's 300 stories of of rejected films because a lot of them published for the first time. It, it was years of research. And on my end, and years of editing all my publishers, and to make it something enjoyable. So you know, it's if you are if you're into into gossipy stuff like like what we <laughs> discussed here. I think yeah, I believe Doctor No is in there because of course the, most of Monty Norman's music for Doctor No is not in the film, so it, it technically qualifies as a rejected score kind oh, of. Wow. Oh, I'm 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 going to try to make an effort to to pick a copy up then because that does sound like something I'd be interested in. Well, you know, ask your um, local libelist to carry it. So. <laughs> hey, Gergay, I cannot thank you enough for uh, joining us today. I can I can tell our audience that he went to a lot of trouble to kind of put some of these cues together and and organize how we want to do it. And so I I really appreciate the effort you put forth on this today and. Uh, and for your insights, it's been been really interesting, and and at least for me, it was a lot of fun. I hope you had fun too. Oh, absolutely, and you know, and I can't wait to be back with maybe another topic sometime later on. And yeah, I can't no, wait to delighted. hear. And I can't wait to hear about some of your latest guests as well. So you know, keep keep checking out the podcast. Oh well, I appreciate that, and uh, uh, yeah, well, I'd love to have you back at some point because I think you're a wealth of knowledge that would outside of bond as well that might make for interesting listening so again my sincere thanks to you for for all the hard work you put in to help put this program together um there's not much else to say other than this and that is my name is frank r wilson our time's up we thank you for yours thanks for listening to what's the score